You're listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate Lisa Leitner. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. Now back to the show with your host, Lisa. Hi, everyone. Um, Welcome to another episode of the Don't IEP Alone podcast. With me today is Dr. Jessica Mizak. She is from the Chicago area. She is a, a, a psychologist who specializes in autism assessments. Um, she does both in-person and telehealth evaluations. So she's available not in all 50 states, but almost. And she has all uh, developed a niche in less typical presentations of autism, such as autism in AFAB children and adults, high masking children and adults, and also PDA, which is pathological demand avoidance, which you may have heard of. We're going to get into all of that now. So welcome, Dr. Mizak. And if you'd like to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you. Great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So like you said, I'm a, I'm a psychologist. I um, actually practiced down in Memphis for about 10 years before I moved back, back up home to the Chicago area um, and had the the privilege of, of starting my own business right as COVID was hitting. And so that was kind of an interesting thing and, you know, learned to do some things a little differently than what I was anticipating. Um, but yeah, my, my practice is designed to provide neurodiversity affirming evaluations um, for families and, um, you know, especially for, for adults, like you said, with high masking individuals, um, people who, are, are not necessarily the person's going to walk in the door that people are going to assume, oh, okay, I think there might be autism there. Um, and so I, I love what I do. I have another psychologist that works with me too. Um, and I'm passionate about sharing information. So I've, um, you know, in during this COVID time, learned to share some information on TikTok, which I know can be kind of controversial, you know, in different groups. Um, and also have started up a, an online community for autistic adults to share and, and to um, connect with others. Great. Um, okay, so you said the word high masking. So for those listeners who may not really even understand what masking is or what high masking is, tell us. Yeah, so so masking is essentially playing a role. It is hiding differences or aspects of a person's self that that maybe feel like they might be different than other people. So there's sort of different aspects to this, but um, for some people, masking might be people watching and imitating things that they see other people doing. So it might be um, reading a book about body language and learning like, oh, okay, I need to make eye contact at this certain time and I need to, you know, stand in this certain way when I want to enter a conversation. Um, but it can also be some other things like avoiding situations that are really uncomfortable or it can be sort of relying on somebody else um, to, to be there to kind of help with different social situations, too. So how does a person, um, if internally they're having these conversations with themselves that they need to act different and maybe not be their true selves, like like they have an awareness that what I want to do is not socially acceptable. So I'm going to, you know, pretend to do something else, or I'm going to avoid the situation entirely. How does a person like that then perhaps come to you, right? Like, like, if this is just life as they know it, that's their reality. How do they come to 
the whole thing of, oh, wow, maybe I'm autistic or maybe, you know, maybe I'm neuro, you know, have a neurological condition different from others. Yeah. So, so it's interesting because I do think with masking, there's some people who are very, very aware and very cognizant that this is going on all the time. I mean, so it's essentially almost like a running checklist in their head of, oh, okay, I need to look. Okay, now I can look away for a second. Okay, now I need to look again. I need to monitor how much I'm speaking and how much the other person is speaking. Um, so I think for people who have that experience, they know it's happening and, it, and it's very, very exhausting. Um, but you're right. There are some people who, you know, this has become so automatic this has become so autopilot um because yeah especially for for older teens or for adults who've been doing this for years and years and years um you know all of this this doesn't just develop overnight there's a lot of little things that often develop over time um and so for some people it can be really hard to even recognize this is something that um is happening and you know i I brought up tiktok but i do think you know that is part of how some people are becoming aware of this because I do think um, that when you talk about autism, there's absolutely some stereotypes out there. And I think, you know, before, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people would think about Sheldon, people would think about Rain Man and some of those really big, obvious sort of media stereotypes. Um, But what social media has done, it's allowed people who don't look like that. People who, yeah, you might not assume, you might not know anything about their sort of internal personal lives, um, who start sharing information about what that what is going on for them. And I think there's a lot of people who are relating to that and realizing kind of sometimes really quick, sometimes just a little bit at a time, like, oh wow, this is this is something that's going on for me. And this is something that's exhausting. And and I do think that's a big part of this masking. So you know, to some extent, everybody does act differently in different situations. You know, if you go into a library, you got to speak a little more quietly. If you are, you know, approached by law enforcement, you know, there's there's some rules there that you're like, okay, I need to yeah, act a little differently in this situation. Um, but but the idea of masking, especially with autism, is that it's it's for safety. It's it's all the time, and it is really exhausting and takes a toll on a person. So what what are some things then that parents should be on? I mean, now I think it sounds like you deal with mostly an older population and maybe not the littles. Um, I I do littles too, but yeah, no, more, more of my stuff recently has been for, for older people. And it's actually interesting because there's a huge interception there. There's a lot of adults who don't even recognize autism until they have a child diagnosed or a child's, or an adult is diagnosed and then they have a child. And so reality, so there is for sure overlap. Okay. So what would, what would parents, like, what should they be on the lookout for if, you know, if, if a child is masking, that's just it. Like they're masking, like they're trying to not be autistic essentially. Um, And so then a parent, first of all, they may not even see it, but parents and teachers may also, there's this whole thing of, well, we know he can do it. So do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And and I would say a common occurrence that people have is that a child might mask all day at school. So they learn, oh, this is what the expectation is. This is what the teacher expects of me. Um, and so they are on all day at school. And then as soon as the parent comes and gets them, there might be, you know, huge meltdowns either with that transition or just when they get home, um, they might be exhausted and need, you know, hour-long naps after school just to kind of be able to recuperate. 
Um, and so that's that's a really common occurrence because, you know, with parents, they're safe, you know, and so they don't, yeah, no, don't necessarily feel like they have to put on that mask. Um, and, and that can be really, really hard because the school's not seeing it because they're, oh, oh no, everything's great at school, but, but yeah. for sure it's an issue at home. That is very common that we don't, well, we don't see that behavior at school. Um, kind of thing. So um, yes, that's, that's one we deal with a lot. Okay, so let's talk about the other practice area that you have, which is PDA, pathological demand avoidance. Um, I want to say in like the past, what, three to five years, it's getting a lot more buzz. Yes. But there's still the, um, you know, as you know, it's not in the DSM. So it doesn't have a code and we live and die by the codes. Um, right. So tell us a little bit about what it is. Um, how something like this like gets a name if it's not in the DSM yet, and then how you think it's going and how you would address the people who say, well, you know, especially the school teams, well, that's not really real, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So so PDA, and again, the, the formal name is, is pathological demand avoidance, which, you know, doesn't sound great. Um, a lot of people that do recognize this actually prefer the term um, persistent drive for autonomy, which I think also really fits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what this is, it is a profile of autism. Um, and you're right, it's not in the DSM. Um, but I think, you know, this is autism, but I think it's important to recognize. And um, so, again, it, it doesn't look like typical, stereotypical autism that we're used to. Um, but there's a significant anxiety component that goes along with perceived demands. So it could be, you know, really obvious things like clean your room, do your homework, go to school. Um, But often it's even things that a person is excited about or wants to do. So going to, you know, a ballet class they're excited about, wanting, you know, reading a book that they, you know, a new book that they have. Um, Especially a lot of families see this with um, some of the self-care things like, bathing, showering, brushing teeth are kind of huge areas where a lot of parents see this. Um, But yeah, there's, you know, this kids that meet this profile and adults that meet this profile when there is a a perceived demand, something that they are being asked to do, something they're being forced to do, rushed, you know, rushed to do, um, creates this fight or flight or freeze response. And so there's, you know, there might lead to meltdowns or might lead to extreme um, reactions, emotional reactions, um, or trying to get out of the demand in other ways. So, you know, trying to, um, you know, either delay or try to, you know, sort of manipulate the situation to avoid getting into something. Um, and so, you know, I think, so So you're right, it's not in the DSM. Um the DSM doesn't move very, very quickly. So <laughs> no, it does not. It's been it's been already ten years, I think, since since the last one. So right, and you think you know it hasn't been so long ago since there were some things in there that we definitely don't recognize as as mental illness or mental disorders. Um, so again, it's autism. So you know, I think schools recognize that yes, there is something going on. Sometimes PDA is instead mistakenly diagnosed as oppositional defiant disorder, which I know is a, you know, an interesting diagnosis that people have a lot of different opinions on. Um, And I think the value, again, in in recognizing this profile is that there's some specific things that work really, really well. And there's some specific things that are often used with autism and are often used with ODD that really don't work well with this group of kids. Um, 
and you know, I know this podcast is is you know designed for parents who are looking for help with IEPs. A lot of the kids that I see with this profile have a lot of trouble in school, and a lot of them are are homeschooled or unschooled, or parents decide that you know public school is not the best option for them just because it can be so so challenging. Um, you know, either getting them to school or keeping them at school. Right. So um, does PDA occur, co-occur with anything besides autism? Is it so? It, and then what you just said to me is kind of like when you said it's autism. Um, I had always assumed that it was kind of like its own little thing, like that you could have it and have ADHD or and have dyslexia, you know what I mean? But not necessarily autism. Does it only occur with autism? Yes. So yeah, it is a profile of autism. So, so to have this, um, you do have to meet the full criteria for autism. Okay. And so one of the things I'm, I, in fact, I was just recording a video for something else earlier. Um, I'm constantly telling parents and IEP teams, like it's that whole won't versus can't. Are they not doing this because they can't or because they won't? Um, And I think when you talk about PDA and ODD, Mm -hmm. we're talking about won't, right? Well, I mean, from, from the, I don't want to say layman's from, from their typical thinking like, Oh, well, he's not doing that. He won't do that. Like he won't go, whatever you won't go to the bathroom and take a shower like I asked him yeah and actually I think that's a pretty pivotal distinction that that with PDA that we make is that it actually more is a can't um it's it's that anxiety I mean it's sort of it's seeing you know rather than oh they're being manipulative they're you know just being defiant because they just don't want to do something it's recognizing it as, okay, they're experiencing extreme panic in this moment. So it's essentially, you know, seeing it as a, as a panic attack, as opposed to a temper tantrum. Um, and then you think, you know, what does somebody need when they are experiencing panic like that? They don't need consequences. They don't need, you know, harsh direction. They need support and they need, you know, the pressure taken off. And so they can, you know, kind of relieve that anxiety. So taking into consideration, I'm just trying to think of like, a demand that is kind of like non-negotiable and let's say like not walking in traffic or like at a certain point, like showering, like, okay, you cannot shower right now, but we can't not shower forever. Right. You know, those kinds of things. How do you kind of move the child past that scenario or that situation? Yeah. So there's non-negotiable, like, like I want to walk over there. Like I like, there's something over there that's interesting to me, but well, no, you can't walk across an eight lane interstate to go see that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, so a lot of it is finding ways to, so, so number one is just having a good relationship. And I think that, you know, this is one of those things that is really, really important. And, you know, I think we intuitively knew that, know this, that, yeah, if you have a good relationship, you know, and, and, and a child feels like they can trust you and that you, you know, have their best interest, they're, they're going to understand that. And so, you know, that's a huge, huge part of, you know, building up that relationship, um, and not just having consequences, not just having, you know, sort of making it a punitive relationship, um, but, but a lot of the, the recommendations, you know, sort of after that relationship is good, after you get to know, you know, spending time getting to know somebody before you jump into stuff they have to do, um, is finding ways to 
help make it their choice a little bit. So um, something like, um, yeah, showering. So yeah, all right, would you, you know, would it be easier for you to shower now or, or would you rather shower after breakfast? Um, or sometimes making it fun or making it a game, you know, oh, I bet I can shower before you, you know, so something where it's, um, you know, the child has, you know, it can be their choice as opposed to, you know, sort of turning into this battle of wills. Okay. Okay. And then how does it differ from ODD other than ODD is its own diagnosis? Yes. Yes. ODD is its own diagnosis. And I know, you know, there's a lot of professionals that, that won't even won't even diagnose it just because there's, you know, I think there's some concerns about how it's diagnosed and, and sometimes how people perceive this, because I think you're right, that that one is definitely seen as more of a, they won't do it. We need to add in more consequences. Um, so usually there, you're not seeing that extreme anxiety. Um, and then also ODD, um, I would say is less commonly seen with autism, whereas, you know, PDA has to be a part of autism. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. No, that was Hey, I learned something today. I'm glad. Awesome. Um, Yeah, no, I thought it was its own thing. I didn't realize that it's a characteristic. So now that you've said that, and and I'm processing it, um, it's likely not going to be in the DSM because it's not its own thing, right? Yeah, I mean. I mean, it might get listed as as a thing, as a trait, but it's not not going to have, okay. Exactly. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, Great. Okay. Tell everybody where they can find you, your websites and what you offer. Yes. So um, you can find me at um, helpandhealingcenter.com. It's kind of a mouthful. Um, And I am also on, like I said, TikTok at just Dr. Jessica Mizak. And then for any adults out there that are looking for support, um, that community I talked about, it is free, but it is private and you do have to sign in just to keep it private. Um, It is autisticsupportnetwork.com. And I'd love to see people there. Great. And I will put um, links and everything in the show notes if you're listening and because we also don't expect you to learn how to, you know, how do I find Dr. Jessica Mizak on TikTok if I can't spell Mizak? Um, but we'll put, <laughs> yeah, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, any final thoughts or anything you'd like to add? Um, no, I just appreciate you you having me on here. I think you're doing great work. Oh, great. Thank you. And this was, I mean, this was really informative. I think that, um, yeah, I think that a lot of clouds will be lifted for parents because I think when you hear about PDA, you hear parents talking about it, but then not not as many professionals and they don't know where to go. And, and I think that hopefully a, a lot of light bulbs are going to go off after this episode. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Don't IEP Alone with special education advocate, Lisa Leitner. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. For more information about Lisa, the IEP toolkit, and more ways we can help you in your process, go to adayinourshoes.com. From self-care tips to common IEP mistakes, there's even more to explore. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and subscribe to never miss an episode. Until next time, don't IEP alone and you don't have to.